If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn with me to Psalm 119. And as you're turning there, I wanted to make you aware of just a few things. Um, Number one, uh, Laura and I wanted to be here as quick as possible, and uh, we are so glad to be here today. Next Sunday, Laura's sister is getting married in Birmingham, and uh, that's been on the calendar for quite some time. And so we'll be in Birmingham celebrating her sister's wedding next weekend, so uh, Justin will be filling the pulpit next Sunday. Hope you'll come for that. He'll be preaching to us from Ephesians 2. And then um, another date I wanted to make you aware of is March the 17th. And so if you are a calendar person, that will be uh, what we call an installment service. And I realize that will not be my first official Sunday, but my dear friend, Matt Powell, will be here to come uh, exhort Bear Cove how you can strengthen and encourage and pray for your pastor, and he'll also give me a challenge in leading us as God's people. So March the 17th, um, if you will mark that on your calendar, my friend Matt Powell from First Baptist Church of Tupelo, Mississippi, will be here. He, he uh, grew up under the ministry of Adrian Rogers, and so I believe you'll be very blessed by his preaching. So mark, those, mark that day, March 17th. We're looking forward to having him here. This morning we will be in Psalm 119 verses, 90, verses 89 through 96. Uh, several years ago, one popular preacher came up and opened his Bible and he turned to Psalm 119. He read Psalm 119, he dropped the mic and he walked off the stage. That won't be happening this morning. But, uh, and I did not give that any thought either. So uh, we are going to be in this particular section of Psalm 119. And uh, today's sermon title is Standing on God's Word. Standing on God's Word. We'll be in verses 89 through 96. Let's read the text this morning. Forever, O Lord. Your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day. For all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thank you for the word that gives life to our souls, your very word, O Lord. Lord, I pray this morning for anyone this morning who feels like they have nothing to stand upon, Lord, would you speak to them through your word? Because as believers this morning, we have the very word of God to stand upon. And so I pray, Lord, that you would speak clearly through your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would see 
the glory of your name, as we see here in this specific section of Psalm 119. Holy Spirit, now would you speak and encourage our hearts, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all of Scripture, and it is the longest of the Psalms. Psalm 119 contains 176 verses that are sectioned off in 22 stanzas that are each eight verses long, and they are organized together in an acrostic poem that celebrates the total sufficiency of God's Word. This morning, we will focus on what is called the Lamed section of this psalm, verses 89 through 96. Tim, you'll remember your question to me uh, during our time when we came in January. What's the most important critical issue in the church today? And I believe that the most critical issue is the sufficiency of God's Word. And Psalm 119 is clear that the Word of God is sufficient for the people of God. Previously in Psalm 119, we find the psalmist going through a severe storm of affliction. Verses 81 through 88 mark the low point of Psalm 119, and it seems that these verses wipe out the psalmist's faith. But in these verses, verses 89 through 96, we find the psalmist coming through the storm. He is anchored in the sovereignty of God and stands firm on the solid rock of God's Word. Verses 89 through 96 record a faith-filled testimony about the permanence, about the power, and about the perfection of God's Word. The, the permanence, the power, and the perfection of God's Word. And church, this is good news for us. This is good news to all and for all who trust and obey the Word of God and proclaim the Word of God. God's Word is a solid rock upon which you and I can stand on in any and every situation. So what are you going through this morning? You having a hard time with children? You having a hard time with family issues or having a hard time on the job? Having a hard time on the move? God's Word is a solid rock upon which we can stand in any and every situation. And here's the truth of God's Word, is that it will not always keep you out of storms. It will not always make sense to you. It may not always give you what you want, but here's the hope of the gospel. It will never let you down. It will never, ever, ever let you down. Perhaps you're familiar with the traditional hymn, How Firm a Foundation, How Firm a Foundation, You Saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith where? In His excellent Word. What more can He say to you than what He has said to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? The Word of God, the clear, plain, powerful, sufficient Word of God. And here's what we see. Here's our prop this morning, our, our one main theme that runs through these seven verses. It's this, is that God's Word is a solid rock upon which you can stand upon in any and every situation. God's Word is a solid rock upon which you can stand in any and every situation. 
J.C. Ryle said this, Give me the Bible with all of its difficulties rather than the doubt. I accept the difficulties and await their resolutions. But while I wait, I am standing on the rock. Man, that's, that's good for us. We're, there, give me the Bible, and while there may be difficulties, I am standing on the Word of God. Three reasons this morning why we can stand upon God's Word in any and every situation. The first is this. In verses 89 through 91, we can stand upon the Word of God because the Word of God is permanent. We can stand upon the Word of God because it is permanent. He writes in verse 89 that forever, O Lord, your Word is fixed in the heavens. Now, many of you remember the year 2000. Some of you are too young to remember what happened in the year 2000, but you remember Y2K and all of the hype that came with it. Some of you remember, you've been walking to those bookstores and you've got you know, those books for dummies and one of those books was Y2K for dummies and we had to figure out how to protect our computers, how to protect our electrical outlets because everything was going to, the whole world was going to go dark when it turned 2000 because our technology wasn't up to date to, to, to move from 1999 to 2000. Well, for one pastor in Chicago, he and the leadership of his church decided to have a marathon reading of God's Word into the new year, into the new century. Ray Pritchard, pastor of Calvary Memorial Church in Illinois, wanted to declare to the world the unchanging, timeless truths of the power of the Word of God. They began at 6 a.m. on December 28, 1999 in the sanctuary of the church, and they had no breaks, all the way from Genesis to Revelation to the moment that the clock, that the clock struck midnight, they read from Genesis to Revelation. Well, the, of course, the media heard of this. They, they got wind of it. They asked the pastor why they did this. And his, this was the pastor's response. He said this, we want to communicate to the world that the word of God is true. And every piece of God's Word is to be read, is to be trusted and believed. And the same message that has carried us these 2,000 years will be the same message that will carry us to, into Y2K and for the next 2,000 years to come. Can you say amen? This is the message of all of Psalm 119, the everlasting, unchanging, life-giving, sustaining power of the Word of God. And in these first few verses, this psalmist wants to communicate to us the permanence of God's Word. God's Word is not only sufficient for this psalmist, but it is sufficient for us today. And it will be sufficient for the church throughout history. And there are two things that are eternal in this life. The first is what we see in Psalm 119, the eternal Word of God. It's not going anywhere. The church may have tried to change things and do different things, and we certainly see trends that happen among the church, but th there's no trends in the kingdom. Th there's only one hashtag and one trend, and that is the, the Word of God. It's not going anywhere. It's forever fixed in the heavens, and it, it is eternal. So the first thing is the eternal Word of God. The second is the eternal souls of men. All of us in this room this morning, we have one destination. It's either heaven or hell. It's either heaven or hell. We, our souls, are eternal. 
And if you are not in Christ this morning, God in a moment by the power of his word can speak the word of truth to your heart, transform your heart, your mind, your very life by his grace. And if you are not in Christ this morning, I plead with you to respond to the word of God. Billy Sunday, he said this, he said, I am a Christian because the word of God says I am because I did what the Bible says. And because I am standing on the word of God. And if the Bible goes down, I am going down with it. Well, here's here's just a real quick thought, Billy Sunday, who's gone to be with the Lord, by the way. The Bible ain't going down. It ain't going nowhere. It has stood the test of time. It will always stand the test of time. The Bible will be eternal. It is permanent. The word of God is forever fixed in heaven. There's two Twofold uh, trustworthy statements here about the permanence of God's word. We see the heavenly perspective of God's sufficient word. It's forever fixed where? In the heavens. What is the nature of the trustworthiness of Scripture? It is firmly fixed. Now, we got some builders in here, right? I've been told we've got some people that build houses. And so you know that when you build a house or when you go to buy a house, what's the most important thing? What's the first thing that a realtor looks at? It's the what? The foundation. And if there are foundational issues to the home, you know that house probably is not going to be worth much money. This here, the, the, the psalmist is saying that the word of God has a sure and a strong, firm foundation because it ain't fixed here. It's not fixed outside up here. It's fixed up there. The word of God is fixed in the head of in the heavens. The word of God is the sustaining pillar of the universe. It is secure, it is settled, it is firm. There is nothing that we can do to change its authority, to change its power, or to change its voice over our lives. That's why Psalm 95 this morning. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God's word is firmly fixed, and it's firmly fixed in the heavens. God's word is transcendent, it is supernatural, and it's independent upon the fairs of the world. It cannot be taken down by either earthly enemies or spiritual enemies. It stands unmatched, unrivaled, and it is victorious in all of its ways. The Word of God. Some of you might remember the famous atheist by the name of Voltaire. Voltaire was a very famous atheist who was very influential in the world in his ideas. And before he died, he made the statement that in 50 years, the Bible will be no more. Well, sure enough, Voltaire died, and who was it that came to buy his house? It was the Bible Society who came to buy his house. And they littered that wall, the walls with Scripture, and all of the walls were filled with Scriptures from the Word of God. And that Bible Society would translate the Bible in many different languages around the world. You don't bury the Bible, the Bible buries you. We have good news this morning. The Bible, the Word of God, is firmly fixed. But we have better news, too, that it is firmly fixed in the heavens. And it's firmly fixed in the heavens forever. This is why, church, we have no, we have no 
reason to panic this morning. When we think about the events of the world and all of the warfare that is going on, which Paul will remind us that it's, there's a war going on in the, heaven, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the secret place, in the heavenly places, this is why we don't have to panic because the Bible isn't the book of the week. The Bible isn't the book of the month. The Bible isn't the book of the year. It isn't even the book of the decade. It's not the book of the century. It is the only book that stands the test of time. It is the only book that will last forever and ever and ever. It's why Isaiah 40 verse 8, he can say that the word of the Lord endures how long? Forever. Scripture, this is again, let me just say very quickly, some people get into these arguments, well, the Bible can't be true because of these inconsistencies, etc., etc. No, no, the Bible is fully consistent. It's very consistent on this issue. The New Testament will, will firmly back this up, that the word of God endures forever. So we've seen the heavenly perspective of God's, of God's word, but we also see the earthly perspective of Scripture. Look at verse Look at verse 90. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. Verse 90 is one of the only several verses that does not have a direct reference to Scripture. We've seen it in verse 84, verse 90, verse 121 through 122, and verse 132. But there is an indirect reference to Scripture here, however. Look at verse 90. Your, your what? Your faithfulness. What does that mean? That means that God keeps his word. So there is a reference here to about the character of God's word. He points us to the faithfulness of God. Psalm 100 verse 5 says that the Lord is good and his faithfulness endures forever and his steadfast love to all generations. He is saying that you can trust the word of God because the word of God is what? It's faithful. How do you know God is faithful? Verse 90 says that you have established the earth and it stands fast. Verse 89, if you want to know the word of God can be trusted, look up. But if you want to build it further, look around. Look around you. Look around the world. Look at creation as it stands fast. Just look at the world and see how it affirms the steadfast word of God. The fact, and here Laura and I just moved from Florida, so we didn't really have seasons there. But the fact that the seasons keep passing tells us that God is faithful. The fact that the flowers, they keep blooming, reveal the faithfulness of God. The fact that the earth is just close enough to the sun so that we don't freeze, but it's just far enough so that we don't burn up is proof that God is faithful. God has established the earth, and because he has established it, it stands fast. God put it there and it stayed there. When God spoke in Genesis 1, creation, he spoke and it stayed there. Creation did exactly what he said. And we see this, so, so we can trust the word of God because it is permanent. It's forever fixed in the heavens. Verses 92 through 95, we can trust the word of God because the word of God is powerful. Verses 92 through 95, the psalmist will give us like an MRI image of how the word of God reached his heart and how the word of God applied to his affliction. 
verse 89, the word of God is settled, verses 90 through 91, the word of God stands firm, verses 92 through 95, the word of God is powerfully sufficient. Well, then that bids us the question, how do we experience, how do we experience the power of God's word in our lives? Well, he gives us the answer here in this section of this psalm. Verse 92, he gives us the picture of the light. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. So, so we, we have this picture of us needing to delight in God's word. It's one of the most powerful truths in Psalm 119. Delighting in the word of God. Here's what delighting in the word of God does. It gives us a proper perspective of affliction. When, when, we, are, when we are delighting in the word of God, it gives us the right biblical understanding of our affliction. Turn back with me to verse 67. Verse verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went... Listen to this. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I do what? I keep your word. Verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Hear me this morning. There's something about our suffering. There's something about the trials that we face that increase our delight of the Word of God. Ultimately, this will point us to Jesus, who perfectly went to the cross to die for our sin. And ultimately, we see that Jesus is the only one that can perfectly live this out as he's tempted by the enemy in the wilderness, as he does what? As he he quotes the Word of God to the enemy. No one perfectly meditates upon the word except Christ. That's what Psalm 119 will ultimately point us to, is that ultimately only the Savior perfectly delights in the word of God. Verse 92, his devotion to the word does not make him exempt from his affliction. What he's saying here is that I would have died had I not delighted in God's word. God's word has power. We, church, hear me this morning. We must delight in the word of God in in order to experience the depth and the profound truths of it. We must meditate on his word if we are to do what he's called us to. Our doing for the Lord is birthed out of our delight for the Lord. Hear me this morning. I'm, I'm not saying don't serve. I'm not saying don't do. I'm saying delight before you do. Delight in God as you live your life. This is why Paul can, if you read the New Testament and you read Paul's exhortations to live out the the, the truths of Scripture, he he always goes back to the cross. Philippians 2 is a clear example of this. He's given us the great Christ hymn, the one that was read this morning. And then what does he say? And then he says in Philippians chapter 2, Live out of that truth. Live out of that truth. Work out your own salvation 
Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because Christ went to the cross for you. So never forget that our doing is rooted in our delighting. Secondly, here in this section, as we think about God's word being powerful, how do we experience this power in our lives? Secondly, we remember God's word. Look again at the text. I will never, verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. This is a pledge of devotion to the word of God. It's not one of perfection, but it's one of deep sincerity. He is not claiming to be perfect, but to have a desire for the word of God. To love God's word is not just to preach it, but it's to love it. To, 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 pre, to love God's word is not just to preach it, but to live it. He says, you have given me life. God's word has the power to put you on your feet again. This morning, as you are hearing the word of God, the Holy Spirit can put you on your feet again because of his word. Our confidence in God's word leads to a future strengthening grace. We got to remember, in fact, if you read the Old Testament, one of the most important words in the Old Testament is remember. It's to remember and look back at what God has done. So delight in God's word, remember God's word. And here again, he says, seek God's word. Verse 94, I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. Here again, the, 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 the devotion to Scripture is not an end to itself. Devotion to Scripture is a means to an end. We need to be devoted to Scripture not just to know it better. We need to know Scripture because we want to get closer to God. It's not just to puff us up with knowledge here. It's so that our hearts and our lives will be transformed because we want to get closer to God. And listen here, the testimony of those who are His is, I am yours. Now, let me, let me say this morning, in, in a setting like this, it can be really easy. Most of us probably know each other this morning. We probably think, oh, everyone's a believer. Let me ask you something this morning, church. Can you say that this morning? Can you say to your Creator, I am yours? Can you say to the one who created you in your mother's womb, the one who formed you from before he even created the world, the one who created you, can you say to the Lord that you belong to him? This is about deliverance from trouble and affliction. God's word is not only powerful enough to bring us home to glory, but it's powerful enough, enough to keep us here on earth. Oh, he's going to bring us home to glory. But it's powerful enough in the present. It's powerful enough in the, in the right now of your life. And again, this is about direction, not perfection. This, this passage is not about perfection. Hear, hear me this morning. It's about direction. It's about the way that the Word of God shapes our heart. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and what? And all these things will be added to you. Fourthly, we must consider God's word. Verse 95, the wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. Now, this 
first phrase here about the wicked lying in wait to destroy me, there, there are wicked people laying in wait to bring the psalmist down. And the only way to avoid this, and we see this today, the only way to avoid this is to live a petty, unconsequential life. If you desire to seek God and do great things for God, there will always be opposition from the enemy. Always. The enemy has a target, and it's you. This is, this is the worst kind of fight in Psalm 119. This is what we call guerrilla warfare. This is the kind of warfare that is intense, it's intentional, and they don't come straight out to attack. They set a trap and lay in wait to destroy him. Let me ask you something this morning. What do you do when there is an opposition waiting to bring you down? What do you do? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to look? The psalmist says, look right here. When there is opposition waiting to destroy you, let the world plot and plan. I don't need to plot and plan. I don't need to figure out the enemy's schemes. I don't need to figure out and try what he's doing. I just need to consider God. That's what the psalmist is saying. I just need to rest in God. I just need to keep my heart and my eyes and my life set on Him. I, I, I'm, I'm, all, look, I'm, I'm all for uh, praying intensely and all of those things. And we've had those conversations. But we, need to, we, we talk about prayer and we talk about Satan, I bind you. Be careful. Just, just hear me this morning as your new pastor. Be very careful. You don't need to talk to Satan. All you've got to do is just keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter and the finisher for our faith. And, he'll, and the enemy will keep coming for you, but you keep your eyes set on Jesus and the throne of grace, and God will give you everything you need to resist the evil one. So that's what we just we consider God. Thirdly, Thirdly, the Word of God is perfect. The Word of God is perfect. Verse 95, verse 96, I've seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Everything that the world and the enemy offers is incomplete, inadequate, and insufficient. There's a limit to everything the world offers. If you're a young person this morning, Hear me this morning. The world is going, and I, I, I tremble to think about the world in which our, our, our children will live in. I tremble. I'm only 35, and I still tremble to think about the world in which our kids are going to be in. Hear me this morning, young people. The world will offer you anything and everything, and it is totally insufficient and incomparable to the love that we heard saying a good, good, good father. Good father. He, he, he's a good father who loves his children. And there, there's no one, there's nothing in this world that could satisfy like him. Verse 96 here is a great summary of what Old Testament book. Would anybody be willing to give that a stab? I'll give you three seconds. Three, two, one. The book of Ecclesiastes. 90, verse 96 sums up the book of Ecclesiastes, where the pledges of the world are presented 
and the, vic- the, 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 uh, the, the, the verdict is rendered on it all. What does the author of, the, of Ecclesiastes say? What does Solomon say? He says, vanity of vanities, it's all vanity. Just chasing after the wind is what the world offers. He says here that your word is exceedingly broad. What does this phrase exceedingly broad mean? The psalmist is affirming the truthfulness and the authority of the Word of God. He is affirming the sufficiency of the Word of God. The Word of God is not just broad. It is exceedingly broad. So what is he saying? There's no end to its power. There there is no end. You remember Psalm 103? Do you remember the way that the psalmist worded forgiveness? He says, as far as the east is from the west... So far have you removed your transgressions from me. Why not north to south? Because you can go north and you can come back and go south. If you go east to west, there is no going. It's always east or it's always west. There's something here about this exceedingly broad that the psalmist is saying. There is no end. There is no limit to the power of the word of God. That's good news. The Word of God has the power to reach anyone in any circumstance of life. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me just tell you as your new pastor, we don't have to go chase the new trends. We don't have to do something that someone else is doing. We just have to simply trust the Word of God as the Word of God. We have to preach the Word of God, and we have to trust the Word of God. They say, no, 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 you've got to reach people where they are. And we think about the millennial generation. You've got you to do this and do that. But the foolishness of that statement is that the Word of God is, is that the Word of God is at a place where it cannot reach them. They're saying the Word of God is not powerful, quite power enough to do these things, so we have to do this. The psalmist says that the Word of God is broad. It's broad enough to give hope to the one who is facing death. The Word of God is broad enough to give joy to the one who is burdened down by the troubles and trials of life. The Word of God is broad enough to be a lamp for your feet and a light for your pathway. And here's the truth this morning of Psalm 119. Wherever you find yourself in life, the Word of God is broad enough to give you strength when you are weak and joy when you're grieving and hope when you're troubled and direction when you're lost. The Word of God is broad enough to lead you to the cross of Christ. The Word of God is broad enough to empower you against Satan and his schemes. So do what? So keep standing on the Word of God. Keep standing on the Word of God. When the enemy comes at you and says, you're too old in this life, you'd be so much better in your former days, remember First, remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. That never changes. 
That's a hope that we can stand in. When the enemy says, I know what you did back there in your former life, and there's no way God could, for, could forgive you, stand on 1 John 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. When the enemy says, your children are lost because of your poor parenting, which, by the way, is a very common way that the enemy attacks us. I can't tell you how many parents I've counseled or I've sat with that have said, did I do this or did I say this to make my child lost? No, stand on Luke 15, verse 17, that when the prodigal came to himself, when the Holy Spirit awakened and quickened his heart, that he recognized his sin and the Father had compassion on him. Pray that that moment comes for your child when the Holy Spirit awakens their hearts. When the enemy says, God's done with your life, Oh, you stand on Philippians 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in me will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. When does your life of serving God end? It ends when your dash is complete. Your life, your life of serving God's church and his kingdom ends when your dash is complete. When the enemy says, you're too weak to accomplish that for God, stand on 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, that my power is made perfect in weakness. And finally, when the enemy says this, I, I, I hear this quite a bit. I'm so busy, I don't have time to pray. Man, when the enemy says, you're too busy to pray, stand on Mark 1, verse 35, that before Jesus went into all of the towns throughout Galilee to preach the gospel of the kingdom, Mark will note for us that before he preached, he prayed. Before he preached, he went to a quiet and desolate place so that he would know that his power would come from his father as he proclaimed the word of God. So here's my, here's my word to you this morning. Keep standing. How do you stand? You look to Jesus. Because you, here's, the, here's, here's, here's good news this morning. You can't stand apart from the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You can't, you can't stand on the word of God unless the Holy Spirit is strengthening and drawing you. Jesus says in John 15, abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And when we abide in him, Jesus says later in that passage, by this my father is glorified. How is God glorified? He's glorifying and our abiding in him and trusting his work in our lives. But let me ask you something as we close. I find that one of the greatest battles for the believer today is that believers don't know that they can live a victorious Christian life. Now, now hear me this morning. I'm not talking about some crazy prosperity gospel. I'm talking about the basic power of the word of and what I find is, is that if we're not delighting in God's word, we'll live lives of destruction. Broken marriages, broken homes, churches that are disunified and divided. Our 30-somethings class is going through the book of 1 Corinthians, which they just started. And one of the things that you see in 1 Corinthians is a divided church. Let me say, Bear Cove, how are we going to be unified? We're going to be unified because we're going to stand on the word of God. And when we do that, 
Great things are coming for God's people as we seek Him and as we trust Him. Let's pray. Father, help us to be a people who will delight in your word. As we're praying, I just am praying over the sermon this morning and this week. I really believe that the Holy Spirit has a specific word for some of us men. I really believe that the Lord wants you to be a man of his word and that some of you men this morning, you need, you need to receive this as just a comforting word from our God that the Lord wants you to lead your home in the word. And if you are, have become weak in that, the Lord is calling you to himself this morning. And the Lord will give you strength and wisdom, and he will give you a love for his word that will strengthen your family and strengthen your homes. Just believe that the Lord wants to impress upon some of us men, some of our dads, and our, 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 as, as husbands, and as the leaders of our home. The Lord wants to stir in you a love for his word that's going to transform your home. So Lord, we ask that you would strengthen your people this morning. We ask that as we consider this part of your word, that we would be a people who are standing on your word, the word of God that is forever fixed in the heavens. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are going to have a time of invitation. We're going to, if you would like to come and to receive prayer, um, perhaps, you are, perhaps you're really struggling in your love for God's Word. And you'd say, I just would like prayer, just to ask the Holy Spirit to help me be a better, a, a better uh, to uh, invest my time better. Um, so if you would like prayer this morning, please come as we close. Will you stand with me?